0: Dialectic Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Green, a painter and art educator living in New York City. And today, I'm joined by my friend and fellow artist, Kenny Jordan, and we're continuing a series of dialogues on the elements of painting. Our goal is to create an original philosophy of painting from the bottom up, and we hope to expand each idea and provide new perspectives on these old topics. And in today's dialogue, we are discussing the flax plant. There would be no oil painting without the flax plant. Its oils are used to create the oil, the binder, in oil paint, and its fibers are used to create canvas. And it has been used for thousands of years for painting and many, many other important things. So we're going to discuss the flax plant and its cultural significance over time. And remember, don't just listen to the podcast, participate in it. Like, subscribe, and share our content. Leave comments. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to our Patreon page, The Painter's Dialectic, and subscribe. You can also support us directly through Spotify. If you'd like to see our Instagram page, it's The Painter's Dialectic. Mine is Josh Green Artist. Kenny's is Cruella Sensei. If you'd like to study with me and Kenny, you can go to greenatelier.art and sign up for lessons. And if you'd like to see my website, it's joshgreenart.com. Kenny, it's good to see you.
1: Good to see you too, man. How you been?
0: I've been good. You know, I like plants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you <know>, I like, <laughs> you know, like plants. And I want to talk about the, the most important plant to painting. At least in my okay. opinion. There would be no oil painting without this plant. Okay. And I think plants get overlooked. You know, we're so uh, industrialized now that we're kind of out of touch with all of our products in our home. You know, we're as, as Marx would say, alienated Uh. from, from our materials and from our labor and things like that. But plants provided fibers, provided medicine, provided food for most of history. And they were sacred, you know, they've been worshiped. They're, they're incredible. They're really incredible if you stop and study them. So I just want to show that painting. We're going to talk about flax. Okay. Okay. Flax, uh, when it's used industrially, it's referred to as linseed or linen. That, that's how most people may know it. Flax, when it's eaten by humans, it's called flax. <clears throat> okay, so it goes by a couple of names. But yeah, in today's episode, I just want to praise this plant. I want to cover kind of the history of it, how people have used it, eating it, and using it as a plant-based medicine. Yeah, I love
1: it in my smoothies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, something that I do that's kind of strange for most painters is I press my own linseed oil. I have a mill in my studio. And then I process it, and then that's what I paint with. So I'm very familiar with the process. I've even grown them in my studio windows. i planted some of the seeds and (laughs) grown them. I'm in Brooklyn in an art studio building. If you know, you know. It's full of mice. So the mice also love my flax seeds, (laughs) and I have to fight these mice to keep them off. They're so smart. They will do anything to get the flax. But anyways, that's what I want to talk about today. Are you in? Yeah, man. All right. And sorry for my voice. is a little hoarse. I think I got whatever version of COVID is currently out. Yeah, flax. This plant not only produces drying oils that we use to create oil paint. It is the binder of oil paint. But also the canvases that we then paint the paintings on. The fibers from its stems. So flax is a beautiful and very useful plant that is intricately tied not just to painting, but to the development of human civilization in all cultures around the globe. Even more than than most of us would like to expect, and we can see this when we look at its scientific name, linum utitatissimum, which means the very useful or, or the most useful. linen linen <laughs> okay so i want to share informations because on on flax because only i would make this episode
1: absolutely guys <laughs> <Jack. laughs>
0: <laughs> and because it's fascinating hopefully mm-hmm. to other people i will cover the history of linen and linseed oil as well as flax as a plant medicine i'm sorry kenny may have to listen a lot on this episode but feel free to jump in at any moment so of course i'm going to start with the words of course um the word linen comes from the latin linum like we saw in the scientific name linen was originally used as an adjective to denote something made of flax okay and so that still continues today from latin there is a small difference in using the terms flaxseed and linseed so flaxseed is used to describe flax what is consumed as food by humans, or I've even seen it for beauty products, people put on their hair and skin, it's referred to as flax. So anything for human consumption. While linseed is used to describe flax when it's used for industrial purposes, such as um, linen, oil paint, or feed for animals. Linen, linen, the husk, of the, the shells, are a major source of food for animals. It has also given rise to a number of well known terms. I love this so much, what I'm about to tell you. When I found this, I was on it for hours. Okay. Okay. So, have you ever seen people doing like masonry where they're building like a brick wall? They Mm -hmm. put a, they stretch a line. Yeah. Guess where we get, guess where we get the word line from? Linen.
1: That's where we get the word line from?
0: Linen. Because they used it to see. If, if everything's been constructed straight, they stretch a line out, stretch the linen, and that became line. <laughs> Love it. So excited. Nice, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so not only that, but the word lining comes from linen, because that's what they would use to line the insides of coats. And not only that, linen has been underwear forever. The loincloth, that's where we get the French word lingerie from linen. So it's been worn on our bodies since Egyptian times as underwear. (laughs) You love this. Uh, This is the nerdiest episode. So every part of the flaxseed plant is utilized commercially. That's why it's a useful plant. Either directly or after processing the cool thing about flax is you don't need pesticides to grow it or irrigation. How about that? All you need is rainfall and the right biological conditions, and it'll grow like crazy.
1: Huh.
0: Not only this, but flax supports the local biological ecosystem as well as the social human ecosystem, right? It primes the soil for future crops. While simultaneously maintaining the lives of local communities who do have jobs and industry based on linen, it's an incredible plant just just for that. You know, it's not poisoning the environment, it's not destroying the environment, it's sustainable. Probably one reason why it's been grown all over the world so easily. So the, here's a crazy fact: so one hectare of European flax, because it's grown in Belgium and France and everything. I was looking at their stats. One oh. hectare. Which I believe is smaller than an acre, produces roughly 900 kilograms of yarn, and that translates into 4,000 shirts. That that is productive, right? That's a pretty good yeah. yield. Yeah. So the the stems of of the flax plant, it has these tall, straight stems. They're about three feet tall, and that's inside those stems, are where the strong fibers are, we use to make linen. And then it also produces this little seed pod at the top full of these little seeds that look like apple pits, kind of. Um, And those produce oil. So the the oil from these seeds is the omega-3 fatty acid, alpha-linolenic acid. It's full of soluble and insoluble fibers, um, lignans, proteins, and antioxidants. It's growing in popularity today due to its health imparting benefits in reducing cardiovascular disease, decreased risk of cancer and particularly mammary and prostate gland uh, prevention of of cancer in the mammary and prostate gland um, it's anti-inflammatory, it has a laxative effect and it alleviates minist- uh, menopausal symptoms and osteoporosis so it's all around and just an absolutely incredible and essential plant. It usually grows in the temperate climates like Belgium, uh, Normandy, Germany, across Russia, Canada is a big producer. It's an annual plant. What I've seen some people do is they plant it in September, it takes 100 days to grow. They let that dry, they cut it just above the roots. Winter goes by in spring, it re sprouts, no need to seed it again, and you can harvest another crop. So, like I said, it's it's a little three to four feet tall, slender stems with uh, thin green leaves, and it has a seed pod. It has beautiful uh, five petaled flowers. The type that we use in painting is blue flowers, blue, kind of like a, a cerulean blue. On the edge of purple, a little bit of purple shades in it. Really beautiful. So let's get into the history now. Linen combines very high strength, you know, fibers. It also absorbs a large amount of water, which isn't great for archivability. It also, the fibers are very smooth. I don't know if you've touched your linen or any real linen, it has a silky quality to it. It dries faster than cotton, and it can carry 20% more moisture than cotton without feeling wet. Mm. It's kind of interesting. Unlike many other textiles, it has a very low elasticity, which means it's prone to wrinkling. You know, in the South, we wear linen. It's all wrinkled to shit.
1: (laughs) It's very true. White linen night.
0: Yep. However, another really cool thing about the fabric linen is it's antibacterial, naturally. That's why it's been used as lining and underwear for so long. And that antibacterial quality eliminates undesirable odors in the fabric. It's pretty cool, right? The earliest evidence of the use of flax as a textile goes back to the Republic of Georgia Just in case people don't know geography, this is not the Georgia in America. This is a Georgia out by Russia. (laughs) Some people don't know. So out there in the Republic of uh, Georgia, where they found linen that was spun, dyed, and knotted wild flax fibers, okay, from the Upper Paleolithic Age. That's 30,000 years ago okay that's incredible right so people have been wearing linen in the prehistoric and it takes it takes some some work to make linen so that's pretty impressive in 2009 these georgian archaeologists reported the discovery of that specific species the linum usitatissimum fibers at all levels of the sediment in this cave from all different areas of occupation so a few of the fibers in each of the levels were colored with hues of turquoise, pink, black, to gray. The threads were twisted, and several had been spun. The ends of the fibers show that they were purposely cut. The archaeologists surmise that this represents the production of colorful textiles for the purpose, perhaps, of clothing. The name of this cave, uh, just, just pardon me, is uh, Zuzulana. Zutzuana Cave, D-Z-U-D-Z-U-A-N-A. I have no idea how to say that. Among the old evidence of the cave, Zutzuana Cave offers details about many other fibers. There's a lot of things going on there. But, you know, what were they using possibly linen for at this time? Well, basketry, in order, and also to make hunting tools, clothing, footwear, nets, Traps, snares, okay, so that plant has been with us for that long. It has been essential to our survival and if if it happened here, it probably happened in other places around the world, so linen has been with us this our cordage to make nets, to make clothes, to make shoes, to make tools to hunt for as far as we know, thirty thousand years, okay, so humans have grown with it, so the first evidence of humans cultivating flax, domesticating it, is in the Fertile Crescent region. Evidence exists that it was domesticated because the size of the seeds had increased in this area they were looking in, in Syria. Also, they found flax fabric in Turkey. Both of these sites were 9,000 years ago. So people have been farming flax since the birth of of civilization as we know it. Then it spread to Switzerland and Germany 5,000 years ago and to China and India about 5,000 years ago. That's when we see evidence of it being cultivated outside of the Fertile Crescent. Flax was cultivated extensively in ancient Egypt where even on the temple walls, there are paintings of flowering flax. And flax was extremely important to them because it was the linen that they wrapped the mummies with. They used it for embalming. It was a sacred fabric. Egyptian priests wore only linen, as flax was considered a symbol of purity. Even over in ancient Mesopotamia, it was saved for the ruling class. But in Egypt, it was more widespread. Everyone was wearing it. Linen was the go-to fabric for the loincloth. Like I said, worn by every class of social class. And we're southern, so we know how practical linen is to wear in the heat much it's excellent and a humid climate linen was even used as cash before currency had been invented people traded uh with goods before money and textiles were used for almost everything everyone needed fabric so linen was used as cash for a while the flax plant grows on a yearly basis and doesn't demand large amounts of water or maintenance like we said But it does deplete nutrients from the soil, so luckily the Nile floods every year and replenishes the soil. So that wasn't a problem for the Egyptians. It was, you know, like we said, it was a very hygienic cloth. So not only is it great for the hot climate, for humidity, it dries fast, it's antimicrobial, and it, it repels odor. That's also why they decided to use it for mummification, right, as the bandages wrapped around the body. So the oldest known dress... In history, it's 5,000 years old. It's called the Tarkhan Dress, and it's found in Cairo, Egypt, made of 100% linen. So the oldest surviving clothing that we know of is 100% linen. Okay. <coughs> linen wasn't just the world's first textile. It was also believed to have been used for history's first composite material. This is absolutely insane what I'm about to say. This, okay. this is awesome for the painters. So the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, created armor out of linen and linseed oil. It was called linothorax. Alexander the Great wore it himself. So what they would do is they would layer 15 layers of linen soaked in linseed oil, and that would dry into a hardened piece of lightweight armor. Lenothrax was what allowed them to conquer the Mediterranean and Asia. Okay. How about that? that? Completely unexpected, right? But I could see that, you know? I could see it drying into a hard crust, lightweight. The Phoenicians began trading Egyptian linen, and, and it spread around the Mediterranean. The Romans began to use it for sales. It was used for sales for thousands of years. Charlemagne also made it a law that people had to consume flax seeds because of its health benefits. Eventually, uh, the Flanders became the major center of European linen industry, like Northern Europe, the Belgium, and everything as we know it. During the 13th century, France, certain cities within the country, became highly renowned for their weaving methods. Uh, much of the progress can be attributed to a weaver named Baptiste, who developed a particularly fine weaving technique. Its properties made it highly desirable even beyond the country's borders. And France began to export this all around Europe and that fabric's known as Batiste. It was a fabric of kings, another name for it, but it became table linen, household linens, handkerchiefs. So linen has played a significant role in a number of world religions. As we mentioned, the Egyptians believed that the gods dressed in this fabric. In Judaism, they restricted a linen and wool blend. The Bible mentions linen, that it was worn by the angels. Greek philosopher Plutarch explained why the priests wore linen instead of wool, noting that it would be morally wrong to clothe oneself in the hair of domestic animals. So, quote, "...the flax springs from earth." which is immortal. Because it grew out of the earth, it was considered closer to the to vine, whereas animals die, they're mortal, right? That's kind of cool, because we try to make paintings that survive time, right? Eternal images. Elizabeth II, you know, the recent queen, famously wore a simple white linen dress on her coronation day, um, which was regarded to, as a testament to his holy status in the world of textiles. Christian Dior regarded linen as, this is a quote, as what marble is to the sculptor, a notable material. Flax eventually came into the America through the um, early settlers, but by the 20th century, cheap cotton began replacing that fabric. Why don't we switch over to painting? Now that's the history of linen. What do, you, what do you think about all that? So we're about to go into oil painting now. So I'd like to talk about kind of what the process of like of making oil paint. So traditionally, you press it cold. There are other ways to extract the oil, uh, either through solvent or boiling it. Cold press is the best. And it's not that cold. The process is actually very hot. So the mill I have has an electric motor with kind of like a screw or a drill, kind of shape, a spiraling shape. And there's a funnel at the top, and I feed in seeds, and then it slowly presses those seeds. The husk come out of one hole and then the oil just drips out through a tiny hole in the bottom. Very little oil comes out of a huge amount of seeds. Yeah, it's if I make like a water bottle full, I've got a trash can full of seed husk. Mm. It takes a lot. Um but what's cool is traditionally what they do is they take all those seed husk and you'd feed it to the animals, your chickens, uh, your pigs, your cows, and the omega-three Fatty acids. Actually, the flax plant has the highest density of those than any other plant. Would soften the fats with its unsaturated fats, soften it, so the eggs, the milk, the dairy would be silkier, and the beef, the fat would be different. The problem is, is uh, that fat oxidates really quick, as we know, in the drying process of a painting. So the food spoils fast, including the meat. That's one reason why they've switched to a lot of. Not so great fats like omega-6. A lot of um, industrialized meat is full of omega-6, which has a very long half-life. That means it sits in your body for up to a year. So you just become clogged up. If you eat a chicken, it's packed full of omega-6, and that fat stays in there for probably a whole year, Mm -hmm. whereas omega-3 breaks down really fast and gets used in your cell walls. It's uh, your lipid bilayers, right? It makes your skin really beautiful. So it gets broken down really fast. But anyways, so See, that those are the most interesting parts to me. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. So then I take that oil and I'll I'll let it sit. And there's still some like debris in it. It'll kind of settle at the bottom. Uh-huh. When you first press it, it looks kind of gray. Um, and then that's all that plant matter settles out, and then this beautiful golden oil shows up and this this black at the bottom. So I actually keep a vial of it in my fridge, a sealed vial. You don't want it open to the air at all. And I'll take drops of it every now and then to get my omega-3s. I don't know if I'm going to do that anymore now that the, the mice are all over my shit. Yeah. But it, I eat it. I eat the oils I make my paint out of.
1: Sick. <laughs> nice. Well, good, not sick.
0: Don't do that. <clears throat> don't eat store... <laughs> So what happens is once the flaxseed oil oxidizes, it can take about a week to completely spoil. You don't want to eat it then. Then it's perfect for painting. Mm-hmm. You just leave it out. That's it. Got gotcha. you. And you can do some other things. You can take that oil in an open water bottle, leave it in a sunny window. It'll keep evaporating, and you'll get sun-thickened oil, which is a great... It's a very, very fat, almost varnish-like medium they use for very final layers. You have to heat it up in hot water, maybe cut it with some solvent. And then you can do glaze passes that will varnish the painting. Or you can take that oil and boil it and make stand oil, which stand oil was every exterior paint and varnish in history. Oil paint for houses was stand oil. You paint your Mm -hmm. carriage. Anything exterior for most of history was varnished with stand oil. So that's how strong this is. Today's home oils are synthetic. So we learned something big recently about the history of oil painting. Sadly, it had to do about the invasion of Afghanistan by the Taliban. The Taliban blew up. A hundred foot tall ancient Buddhist sculpture and behind it was revealed frescoes on the cave walls painted with drying oils, and they were even varnished. Hmm. Guess how old they were? don't know. 650 A.D. So I didn't learn about that when I was in school. I just knew about them from Northern Europe in like 1400. But 650 A.D. in Afghanistan, the Bamiyan... Is a historic settlement along the Silk Road, that's where the statue was, and is famous for the Bamiyan Buddhas. A series of giant statues behind them, which are rooms and tunnels into these caves, cave, these rock caves. Uh, the murals are located in these rooms. The artworks display a wide range of pigments and ingredients, and even include a final varnish layer. That's so exciting. The refinement of this new painting technique and the survival of the paintings into the present day suggests that the oil paints have been used in Asia for some time before the 17th century. So that completely changes history of oil painting. We don't really have a big history of oil paints until 900 years later in Europe in the 15th century. Uh, I dug a little deeper. I don't think... It doesn't look like they used linseed oil. It looks like they used walnut oil or poppy seed oil. Okay, so linseed oil may be unique to Europe, but oil painting definitely started before Europe and Asia.
1: Wouldn't it just be based on your climate?
0: Which which oils you used? Yeah. Yeah. Most of the information, you know, we got from like we got about the European Renaissance the time when oil painting shows up, is from Vasari, old Italian historian who was in the court of the Medici. Right, He started the first academy. He falsely credits the European painter Jan van Eyck. I didn't know this either. I thought Jan van Eyck was the guy who brought it for the invention of oil paint. However, there is a guy, Theophilus. We think that was his pen name. He might have been Roger of Helmarshhausen, maybe. But he wanted the name Theophilus was a monk. He gave clear instructions for oil-based painting in his treatise on diverse arts. Written in 1125. Huh. So I looked it up. He has like a painting section, a glass section, and a sculpture section in his treatise. I really want to get it and read it. I I've I thought that the oldest artist's manual was by Cennino Cennini in thirteen hundred, which is an incredible read, but I have not read Onniverse Arts yet, so I'm really excited I found that. I wouldn't have found it if it wasn't for this research period. So an early Netherlandish painting with artists like Van Eyck and Robert Campen in the early mid fifteenth century were the first to make oil the usual painting medium, and explore the use of layers and glazes, this is where we get glazes, followed by the rest of Northern Europe, and then later on in Italy. We you know da Vinci was one of the first to start experimenting with the oil paint, so if you don't know the history, most people were using egg tempera. painting at the time and a lot of people doing fresco paintings into plaster that was kind of like a watercolor on the plaster or egg tempera on wood was the traditional painting mediums at the time also in the 15th century people began to switch to canvas as a painting support because it was cheaper and easier to transport than those heavy timber panels i don't know if you've ever seen some of the old icon paintings They're curved because they just cut through a tree trunk and it kept the curve. They're extremely heavy. So, the switch to canvas was probably very welcome, especially if you had to move across the Alps or something like that. You got to roll up those paintings. So, this started becoming popular in Venice, a big trade port where they had canvas sails, linen sails. It was easily available. Also, at the time, there were small cabinet paintings on metal especially on copper plates. You know, if you got done with a printmaking plate, then you just take it, you do a painting on it. But people started painting on these sails. It was cheap. They had to change their gesso me- gessoing medium from panel to support something flexible by mixing in uh, stand oil, boiled linseed oil, Was it allowed it to flex. So the Renaissance is really famous for its glazes, right? None of that... Painting would have been possible without oil paint. None of the techniques that came up then would have been possible without it. is really sticky. All the, um, what's the other, the wax paint, encaustic? Um, yeah, I was this, it's, that it's not, there's, this just glides. And you have all these really fluid mediums now that allowed for painting to reach the levels it did. And maybe that's one reason why realism didn't spread to other places you know realism is just was just mainly a european obsession so i wonder if if that medium allowed people to do such detailed works uh, there are some instances of realism in ink painting and in sculpture especially with portraits around the globe but nothing like what was happening in europe at the time hmm. Either that or it, philosophically it wasn't important. So Van Eyck also kind of came up with the wet-on-wet wet techniques, you know, direct painting. The Italians are famous for doing a glaze, letting it dry, doing a glaze, letting it dry, doing a glaze, it, dry, doing a glaze it takes forever. But Van Eyck kind of started doing wet-on-wet wet, direct painting. Um, so we
1: mean, when you say this, we, when you say came up, we mean like like coin, claim, the stamp practice of wet-on-wet.
0: Wet. <laughs> yeah, he also was the one who first started really making oil paint too. So if he's first of all making it, he also came up with a lot of techniques because he's one of the first. He took a trip down to Italy, and that's when it spread to Italians. According to this, you've already seen like so many revisions in this episode of history. So for now, he's the guy wet-on-wet Yeah, so that's that's kind of the history behind um the development of oil painting. So it obviously has a lost history in Asia that we don't have access to yet. It has a medieval history too that I didn't I wasn't aware of. Maybe that's new history. But we're very aware of its development in the Renaissance. Actually, you know what? Actually, I just got a big picture of linen in my head, right? It starts out as this survival tool, right? Literally, to make tools, to make cordage, to make nets, to make shoes, all these things. And then in that cave, you see, they started weaving them into textiles and dyeing them. It became art at some point, right? And that's the cycle of the flax plant and all these cultures, right? In, in, in uh, Europe, it would have been everywhere. I think in um, the UK, they even used flax to make the roofing of the house. So it was everywhere. It was the clothes, It's readily available, the oils, the seeds were everywhere. And then it evolved into Renaissance painting, right? Like someone had to have the time, right? And the, uh, the wealth to sit around and, and come up with that, right? I guess they saw that they were varnishing tables and and painting houses with it, right? So I guess it wasn't a stretch to then go to it. But you see, kind of that it's supporting it, the human growth, all the, from the very survival to the very like high culture, right? Well, thank you, Kenny, for coming on the Flax Journey. Thanks, thank Josh. You all I really listeners. enjoyed this. <laughs> Remember to be critically creative.